we are in our Omega series. Everybody say Omega. Omega is the Greek word for in. In the book of Revelations, Jesus is called the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the completeness of everything that God needed to have happen on the planet. He is our all-sufficient one. He is our beginning, and he is our end. And so we took that term Omega to talk about the end times. And so we've been in this series uh, two weeks now, and this is our third week on the end, the end of the world, the end times prophecies, the messages in the Holy Scriptures. And uh, got me thinking about Boudreaux and Thibodeau the other day. See, old Reverend, old Reverend Boudreaux, he was a part-time pastor over at the local Cajun Baptist Church. And his friend Thibodeau, he was the minister of the Cajun Covenant Church just across the street. And one day they were standing out by the side of the road. Each one of them had a sign on either side of the road. Boudreaux had a sign that said, The end is near. Turn yourself around before it's too late. And Thibodeau had another sign on the other side. It says, The end of all is upon you. And then about that time, this guy comes speeding by in his car, and he rolls down the window, and he yells out, You religious nuts, leave everybody alone. From the curb, they heard the screeching of the tires and a big splash. Boudreaux turned to Thibodeau, and he said, You think maybe we should have made the signs just say, The bridge is out? Maybe we should have just said that. We were talking about the end, and we've been looking at the scriptures that talk about the end. In fact, um, one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament talk about the end of the world or Jesus' second coming. We also find that 23 of your 27 New Testament books actually talk about the end or the return of Jesus Christ. And so what we did in this series, we looked at, we're looking at the four most prominent passages in the New Testament talking about the end. We started with Matthew chapter 24, which is this passage where Jesus talks all about the end. His disciples come and say, how do we know when the end is going to come, when you return, the second coming? And, um, and he gave out some, you know, some good teaching there. And then we moved last week into the Thessalonian passages where, uh, where Paul was dealing with this church that he had planted and, uh, and they were coming under such difficulty and he was teaching them about the end. And one of our premises has been from the very beginning that um, what, what seems to be popular in our age is people writing books and making videos, um, trying to somehow figure out who all of the Antichrist is going to be and all, what, when's the rapture going to happen? Is there really a rapture? Is that just, you know, pictorial uh, 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 speaking in the scriptures? Is it, is it real? And, is this, and people are making a lot of money. And so what we did was we went back and said, hey, can we just help you understand that really all of the apocalyptic writing is so much less about trying to figure out when, how, who, and so much more about preparing us to be ready no matter what comes. Are you with me? Say yes. And so that's the premise by which we, we jumped into this. In fact, if you don't mind, would you pull out your phone for just a moment? I know you guys text in church while I'm preaching so good that you're always texting your friends going, this is the most amazing message you've ever heard. So go ahead. Let's do it together now. So here's what I want to do. I want to do a survey just to see, you guys online with us, just to see some of your thoughts. I want to try to get a litmus test of what you believe on some of the things about the end time. So go ahead and get, get open up your text messaging. We're going to text to this number, 469-606-2684, okay? And that's Miss Jamie's personal cell phone. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, 469-606. Go ahead and put that in. Go ahead and put that in your in your little spot. And then I'm going to take you through a survey. And what you'll do is one at a time. You'll pick what you believe, uh, you know, is the right answer. And you'll text that. I think it's a number. It may be a letter to this number. 469-606. 
2684. You ready to do a survey together? Here we go. All right, let's start with the first question. Here's my first question. I'm just trying to get a litmus test of who am I ministering to and what you believe so I can do better at actually teaching you about the end time. So here's our first question. Here we go. Put it on the screen. Our first question uh, uh, that I want, do you believe we are living in the end times? Okay. So... So 93, 91% of you believe we're living in the end times. Okay, all right. Well, that's helpful for me. Now I know that I, be, I need to be careful with the term rapture. Okay. All right, let's go to the second question right here. And, uh, and um, here we go. Second question. Do you believe we're living in the end times? Do you think, uh, who do you think could be the Antichrist? And I think we're using, are we using one, two, three, or can we still use letters? All right, so switch out A, B, C, D, E for one, two, three, four, five. All right, so do you think it's Bill Gates? <laughs> um, if you think Bill Gates is the Antichrist, I've been watching some of your posts. You, you, you're pretty convinced that his desire to kill everybody with the vaccination. I've been watching you guys. Uh, some of you believe it might, if you think it's Kim Young Jun, Yoon, uh, that's North Korea, uh, or if it's Jeff Bezos. Somebody think Jeff Bezos. Somebody think CNN is the Antichrist. You just think the whole network is full of Satan and uh, is the Antichrist. Or number five, none of the above. I just, I'm just getting a survey. I'm just trying to get a survey of what our church believes. <laughs> the people who come here and the poor person who is online with us right now who's never been to our church thinking these people are crazy. Welcome, welcome to Hill City. All right, so do you think, who do you think could be the Antichrist? All right, here we go. Let's see if we can get a percent. Oh, good job. That's my people right there. I don't know, but for <laughs> Bill Gates and Brazo. Oh, that's the church I pastor right there. All right, I didn't put Clinton up there or, uh, or Trump just because I didn't want to fight with that one. All right, do you believe Christians will have to go through the tribulation? Again, that's one or two. If, it, if you believe that we'll go through the tribulation, if that's your thought process, the, the bowls are wrapped, the hardships, uh, put yes, number one, text one, or number two, no. Um, so you say, no, I don't think, I think we're going to be raptured out of that. We won't have that. Or, no, I think that we're going to go through that. We think we're going to go through real horrible times. And so I have a bunker out in uh, Tyler that I've been prepping and uh, <laughs> underground tunnels under my house that come up under Walmart. All right, here we go. So let's see. Oh, there we go. So look, 39% uh, of you say, yes, we, uh, that we will go through the tribulation. And 63% of you say, no, we will not. So it's 63% of you. Uh, 61, dropping fast. Got a bunch of post-trivers getting in there at the last second. Okay, so there you go. So a little bit heavier on what basically would be uh, those. Yeah, there you go. So let's go to the next one. Um, what do you think will be the mark of the beast? What do you think that will look like? You think it's a microchip? You think they're bringing back the 80s Walkman? Do you think uh, digital currency, cryptocurrency? is going to be the mark of the beast? Do you think the iPhone 27? That's where I'm leaning. Or do you think, number five, none of the above? Which, one, which one's how do you, the mark of the beast? How will it come? Will it be that old microchip that everybody's been talking about for 20 years that supposedly all the top military personnel have that they did with your dog when you, when you took it to the vet so that you couldn't lose it anymore? So the Walkman from the 80s are going to bring that back. Y'all have seen it. Was it Adele came back with cassettes? Did you see her new? Is it Adele? Yeah, she brought, I was like, are you serious? Like, where are we going to find a cassette player? So somebody's making a fortune in cassette players um, all of a sudden. Uh, digital currency, you think it's the crypto or the, 
the different uh, digital currencies are, uh, as I have learned, NFTs. That's right. Mm -hmm. Or uh, the iPhone 27, because that's what it'll be at. Or none of the above. All right, let's see what you. Let's see how you voted. Yeah, 58% of you said none of the above. Some of you are all about the microchip. I was surprised about the cryptocurrency. That's because you bought it, so you already have the mark. I'm tracking with you. I'm tracking with you. I guess I got the mark too if it's cryptocurrency. All right, very good. All right, uh, do you lean more towards pre-trip, post-trip, post-millennial, or alien abduction? Do you lean more towards pre-trib, post-trib, post-millennial, or alien abduction? Since you probably don't know what the other three are, just go ahead and pick four. It'll be fine. It'll be, I just want to know how many of you guys are all into alien abduction. That's really what I'm trying to figure out is how many crazies I have in our church. And, uh, and so, uh, so I can know who to be friends with. All right. Uh, if it's pre-trib, which means that, um, that we'll be raptured away before the tribulation, kind of similar to the other question, post-trib, that we'll actually go through the tribulation, uh, post-millennial in that, you know, uh, there'll be no real rapture, we'll go through all the difficulties, we'll go all the way through the millennial reign with Jesus, and then there'll just be an end at, it all, at the end of it all, there'll be no taken away or anything like that. Or you believe aliens will take us all? All right, let's see. Let's see how you schedule. Yeah, y'all are wrong. That, that that alien abduction thing is wrong. Y'all messing with me now. Uh, so okay, we've got about 48, almost 50 percent uh, pre-tribbers in the house. About 22 uh, percent post-trib. Uh, some of you believe it's uh, just it's gonna. We're none of none of that's gonna really happen. We're just gonna go all the way through the end. And one last piece. All right, what happens to the essence of a Christian when they die? What do you believe happens when a Christian dies? The essence, who, who you are, not your physical body, but who you are. Number one, you got the uh, leftover Catholicism, so you believe in purgatory, um, where, you know, there's a waiting space and a hold-up space, and um, then you need uh, your friends to pray you out of that space. Or uh, number two, you believe uh, that, you know, really, once a person dies, they just no longer exist. That's just the end of it all. Or number three, uh, that their essence, the Christian that is, goes to be with the Lord. Or number four, um, that we all get stuck in perpetual line at Walmart. <laughs> Some kind of ghostly form. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So purgatory no longer exists. Uh, through their essence goes to be with the Lord. You better get this right, by the way. Just saying. And number four, they get stuck in our perpetual line at Walmart. All right, let's see how you voted on this one. Just want to see where we ended up at with that. And uh, there you go, because somebody taught that last week. And that's if you missed last week's message, you're probably uh, in number one or number two. Uh, I mean, number four. All right, let's move on to the next one. Last one. Oh, that was the last one. Great. Give it up. You guys did so good. <clears throat> Yeah, so last week we brought, um, we brought to you Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, where it says that, uh, that when we die, the believer is brought before the Lord. We are ushered into the presence of the Lord, those who follow God. So that actually would have been an uh, a actually true answer. With that being said, let's jump into the book of First and Second Peter today. This is the third big passage in the New Testament that we see describing and talking about the end and the second coming of Jesus. Our key verses are found in Second Peter chapter 3. In verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Now, Peter is in a situation, um, and so he writes these letters. These letters are to be used not just for one group of people, but they're expecting them to go from church to church that have been established at this point. Um, First and Second Peter is written mainly to the churches that were Gentile Christians throughout Asia Minor. 
And again, it was meant to circulate. Uh, Second Peter, uh, so there's two books. There's First Peter and then there's Second Peter. Uh, Second Peter is actually um, the Apostle Peter's farewell challenge because his death is, is at hand. He knows he's about to die. He's in a prison in Rome because Nero has uh, taken him captive. And it, by all accounts, he is about to die. They have all uh, intentions of killing him and, um, and having him crucified um, and like, like Jesus. Um, also, um, in Thessalonians, Paul was concerned about the people giving up on Jesus because of their hardships and persecution. Peter is actually concerned about the false teaching that has, has transpired throughout Asia Minor and the lies that are being told about, um, uh, about the second coming of Christ and, and about the judgment to come. In fact, Peter begins to stand up in, this, in, 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 in his teaching and say, I actually was there. I, I saw Jesus resurrect itself. I, and because they begin to say that that really didn't happen, maybe this is all a fake. And so Peter has to write these letters to confirm, first and foremost, I was, I'm an eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection. I'm an eyewitness of his ascension. I, 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 heard, I was there when he said this, that, and the other. And one of the big pieces that was happening is that they, there were these false teachers saying that, listen, if there was, if, 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 if there was a, a, a rapture, you already missed it. And it didn't, you missed the second coming of Christ. You've already missed it. There is no such thing. I, we don't even believe that he said that. So Peter is saying, yes, he did say that. We were a part of it. I was there. And then he also begins to defend because most now, uh, many of these people, these false teachers are talking about, and because uh, none of this really matters anymore, let us just live like we want to. We can live in wickedness. We can be perverted. It doesn't matter because we have been accepted by Jesus and we can just live any way we want because there really is going to be no judgment because their position was that when we die, we just die and there's no, there's no ramifications, good, bad, or ugly. And so Peter begins to say, whoa, 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 let me, let me remind you of a few things. He started reminding them about Sodom and Gomorrah and their wickedness and that God brought judgment. He began to take Old Testament places and say, remember how God brought judgment. And then he hones into that there will be a judgment. There will be a judgment based on how we lived on this earth, whether or not we serve the Lord properly, there will be a judgment. And he does that in talking about the end, the second coming of Christ, that the, uh, and, and, and as we our opening scripture, he will lay the earth bare, it will all be consumed with fire, and then we'll all stand before the judgment. And these are some of his, his teachings that he's bringing forth in these letters because he wants everyone to know you will be accountable for your choices. You will be accountable for the way you live. And he summarizes it all up. And this main passage that I want to read with you together in 2 Peter chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 10 through 14. And he says, and again, back to our key verse and then expounding. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about destruction by by the, of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. Verse 13, but in keeping with his promises, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Yeah, he's going he's gonna to destroy this whole thing with fire, but because he's promised us, the believer, a new heaven and a new earth where he prepares a place for us so we can have confidence in that promise. Are you with me? Say yes. Aren't you glad that he gave us a promise? That's what I always tell my Islamic friends. You have no promise. 
your religion is wrong because you have no you don't really know if you'll get paradise you're hoping by hope that that's not the god of heaven and earth the true god of heaven and earth when he makes a promise and he says to you you are mine and you are his and you can take safety and comfort because he's god that's the hope that we as believers have are you with me say yes verse thir- verse 14 he says um he says so then dear friends Since you are looking forward to this, to the second coming, to the new heaven and the new earth, to the passing away of all this old world. He says, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort. So he gives us instruction. I might would call this prepping. He gives us some instruction. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Again, our premise here at Hill City about the end time teachings is that there's so much less about who is the Antichrist. That's why I messed around with you guys. We can sit around talking about, we think what, you know, what, what so-and-so just did might, might make him the Antichrist. That's all fun talk, but that's not what the Bible does. What the Bible does is say, I want to prep you because these things will happen. Whether you like it or not, whether you're prepared or not, if you'll listen to me, you can be ready. That's what these scriptures, these apocalyptic scriptures are really all about. There's so much less about, you know, trying to develop some scary movie about the four horsemen. So much less about what kind of, what kind of destruction is going to happen and who is going to be from. And is it the European Union? Is it the, is it the new vaccine and all that? So much less about all that. And every one of the passages, if you study them, the whole uh, understanding of them, the whole peace that that the Lord's trying to get across to us is be ready, live ready. Don't let anything steal your affection. Don't let anything get in there and deceive you. And so he gives us three final little pieces here or three main pieces on how you and I should prep. And I call these the three prep assignments. So write these down with me. The three prep assignments he gives us. He says, you need to be working on this. The three prep assignments. Number one, found spotless. Everybody says found spotless. Turn to the person next to you and say, found spotless. Found spotless. The Bible talks about how Jesus, Jesus will purify his bride. That he will cleanse the garment of the church so that we're found without spot or wrinkle. Now, each and every one of us, you know, when you're a little older and you go have a hamburger, (laughs) and a man, typically, we get our spots right about there. I don't because I have abs. Okay, I can't hold it in that long. All right, let's go back. And so when we eat a hamburger or something like that, and there's uh, you people who eat dry hamburgers, that's just nasty. Like, you should put some stuff on it. I mean, you need some condiments. You need that ketchup. I like ketchup and mayonnaise and mustard. I just go with it. I mean, eating a dry hot dog, you guys at ballparks, it's like, what are you doing? Like, you're missing out on the whole experience. You put that chili on it, come on, somebody. And you put some of that cheese, that melted cheese on it, that's how we roll, all right? It's never about the meal itself. It's about the condiments for me. I'm going to just tell you that right now. And so he, he tells us that we need to be spotless. If we need to be spotless, that infers that we have spots. If he tells us to be spotless, that infers that we all have spots. Stains, if you will. And so you and I both know 
that God himself is about removing the stains. He wants to partner with us. You can't get yourself clean in and of yourself. Are you with me? Say yes. So I want to give you a little concept on how to go about getting the stains removed. Write these down. This is a little side message within the message. Number one, first thing you have to do to remove a stain, number one, you got to identify that it's there. You got to own it. You know what? I have a problem talking bad about people. You got to own it. I have a problem. I, I, I struggle with, with, with my eyes and not looking perverted I, 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 and, and looking at porn. I, I have a trouble uh, not t- uh, telling the whole truth. I got some stains. You got to identify. The, the worst thing that we as believers do is pretend like we don't have stains. That's the worst thing we could ever do. Just own it. Yeah, I struggle with that. Isn't that life-giving? To just admit, yeah, I got, you know, because I'm going through this life, and just by going through this life and just being me, I'm going to get stains on the garment, on my righteousness, in the thing that God has paid for me to live righteously and holy. So the first thing you got to do is identify it. You got to mark it. Now, when, now, I know most of you guys are rich, so you don't do the old school way of remi- removing stains. You just, you just show up at the cleaners and say, hey, I need y'all to fix that. And so what is the first thing they do when you got a stain? They circle it. They circle it so they can find it. They circle it. That's the first thing they do. Now, Jamie and I, we pastors, and so we don't have that kind of money. So I got to bring you back in how you partner in helping remove those things. So after you identified it, the second thing you got to do, anybody know what you got to do from there? Huh? That's right. You got to treat it. You got to apply something that's cleansing. You got to apply the cleaner. You got to get some of that stuff in there. And then, and then as you get it in there and you apply the cleaner. Now, what I love about the teachings in the scriptures is that it teaches us that that cleaner, it says that Jesus washes us with the word. And the reason why many of you can never get the stains removed is because you never apply the word to your situation. And so if you don't apply the word, the word, the Bible is supernatural. I know for some of you new to Christianity or even for those of you that have been around it for so many years and what's happened is you just see the Bible is something boring and you don't understand that it is your life source, that it is the power of God's word. If you say, I just wish God would tell me what to do. He did. He took 66 books to do it over thousands of years. And when you open the Word of God, though it was written over thousands of years, it is a now word for you and what you're going through. So when you apply that cleaner, and then does anybody know the next step after you apply that cleaner? What you have to do is you have to begin to scrub vigorously. Everybody know what I'm talking about? And so actually in your washing machine, there's this thing, oh, there he goes. There's this thing in your washing machine called an agitator. Because it has to agitate All of that spot, all that grime, all of that stuff that's gotten into the garment, it has to be agitated. That spot remover is put on it, and then you agitate it. You scrub, you scrub, you scrub, you scrub, you scrub. You put it down in the the Word of God, and that that cleansing piece is in there, just taking that piece out, and it starts lightening, and, and it gets a little lighter. It gets a little better. It gets a little better. And then after you scrub vigorously, do you know what the next step is? Put it up there for them. You got to do it all over again. And this is where we get, well, I conquered that. You did in the 80s. That's so good that you have victory in the 80s. But you know what? You've slipped back into some of that. And he's telling us clearly, look, get ready. It's going to happen. The end will come like a thief in the night. You won't even know it's happening. You won't even know it's upon you. And then all of a sudden, you're going to have these regrets because you're going to be looking at your garment. And though you've been accepted by Jesus... And though you have a safe place prepared for you, you're going to be looking around going, ooh, ooh, ooh. 
So he says, let me tell you how to prep for this thing. First off, let's be spotless. Start scrubbing on those things. Let the word of God come over you. The whole reason that I got us going back doing some Bible courses, because I recognize that when you guys with me, you know, if you can make it, you know, three times a month, it would be great to be in services. But I only get to get about 40 minutes of teaching you the word. And I know that that's not enough for the amount of junk that's being thrown at you. I know that that's not enough. So you've got to know your word for yourself. So then I started saying, how can I get you to learn the word better? And so that's when I reached out and uh, partnered with a Bible school locally. And we started getting you some of these courses that you can take and get the Word of God in you stronger. Just read it for yourself. There's so many apps that you can, but get the Word of God in you so that you can remove the stains. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. I love you so much. So identify, apply the cleaner, scrub vigorously, and repeat the process. And that's my life as a believer. That's my life. I do not think that I have it all figured out because I'm a pastor. In fact, I get more, I think, on me because you guys always throw up your stuff on me. And so I'm constantly have to go, oh, Lord, I just forgive. Oh, Lord, I'm not going to carry that secondary offense that they did to my brother and my sister and what they did to my, to my friend, that person over there at that other church, that person over there at their work. Oh, I have to scrub and keep scrubbing because it gets on me. I live in a world just like you do. I have a TV just like you do. I have social media just like you do. And oh, my goodness, my God, I got to keep scrubbing and keep scrubbing. I feel like my whole life is about scrubbing. And I feel like, like, Lord, is there anything else in Christianity besides just scrubbing this old wicked world? But, oh, he promises me there will be a day where he'll wipe every tear from my eye. Every pe- bit of concern and worry will be just thrown aside, and I will live at peace, and he'll throw us a great banquet, and we will partay for however long it's going to go, and he will embrace us, and all the fears, all the worries, all the effort and energy will no longer be needed because he will be reigning as king isn't that the God that we serve? Isn't that who we want to be? Here's the second big thing that he tells us to prep in this second Peter passage, and that is that we be found blameless. Everybody say found blameless. That you be found spotless and blameless. There's so many directions on this word blameless that I could extract scripture. Blameless with your brother and sister that they have no ought against you. But I think as I dive into that concept, I think he's talking about something so much more. I actually think he's referring to, and and, and it could be, you know, dual meanings, but I think he's really referring that we'll be blameless in reference to what he commissioned us to do. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus' final, we call it the Great Commission, his final big statement to us, the believer, go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'm with you always. He gives us a final charge. In fact, in his teachings, if I could kind of bring your attention to his teachings in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, three chapters before his final going away after he's died and resurrected. And as he's ascending, ascending, he kind of gives that go and make disciples as a final charge. Well, in Matthew 25, he gives us a parable that I think is very end times prophetic. This is what he teaches. He says, to one, is a parable. It means a story with meaning. He says, he tells this whole thing about this this ruler. And and most scholars and most of us believe he's talking about himself. This ruler brings brings three of his servants together and he entrusts them. He said, to one, he gave five talents of money. To another, he gave two talents. And to another, one, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. And the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money at work and gained five more. 
So also the one who had two talents gained two more. But the one who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Jesus continues on with that parable. And for sake of time, I'll just tell it to you. He says that, and then the master comes back and he wants to settle up accounts. I gave you, I entrusted you with something. I believe he's not talking about he entrusted you and me with the ability to sing talents because it's about money. This was a money. That was a term for money in biblical times. That talent was a money. So we could, it could easily have read in modern English, it would have said, and the master entrusted them with $100, entrusted them with, you know, $50, trusted them with $10. And so he says, and so he goes off and he comes back and he wants to see a return. And the Bible says the guy with the five talents said, Master, I went at once, put your money to work, and here I've gained five more. The one with two said, I went and I took your two talents that you entrusted to me. It's not my money. It's your money. It's your abilities. It's your, it's your heart. It's your desire. And I went and I doubled that, and here there's four. And again, when talking about these talents, I believe he's talking about our ability to win souls and make disciples because that's his final charge because what's valuable to heaven? Money's not valuable to heaven. Heaven don't care about money. God don't care about money. What does he need money for? He's God. He creates money if he wants to. Dollars. He doesn't need it. The most valuable commodity in heaven is the blood of Jesus, and the blood of Jesus paid the price so that lost and dying people would not have to go to hell forever. So, so when you talk about what he's entrusted to us, the believer, his servants, is the ability to make sure that no one else goes to hell around us. And so he entrusts that ability to him. And he says, and then the one with the one comes back and he says, Master, I know that you were a tough leader. I knew that you planned to reap what you had not sowed. And so I was scared. And I went and I hid your money in the ground. Here is what is yours. And the Bible says that the master looked at that servant and said, so you knew that I had an expectation. So you can't lie about that. You knew what the instructions were. So you can't, you're not going to be able to do that on, on that day in heaven. You won't, be able to be, you won't be able to pretend like you didn't do nothing or you, or you, or you didn't understand. He says, okay. He said, so you, why didn't you at least put it on, why didn't you at least put it in the bank where I could have got some kind of percentage on it? And he said, no, no, no. See, it's not that. The problem is that you're wicked and you're lazy. That's what he calls him. He says, now cast that servant out where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, that's a whole other doctrinal issue we don't want to get into today. A whole other way of thinking. I was like, what? Are you sure? Like, and I don't want to try to appropriate that today. I just want to bring out this thought. And that is, when we stand before the Lord our God, when it all has wrapped up, I believe the thing that Peter is telling us to be sure that we're blameless of, that we're not to be able to be blamed, is that we didn't let anyone that we knew go to hell without us trying to help them understand the love of Jesus Christ. A couple weeks ago, I had the honor to officiate um, a friend of ours, Jana Hassett. Her daughter, Hannah, uh, is on our worship team and works in our youth ministry and married my son. And um, her mother, Betty, had passed away. And I had the privilege of, of officiating that funeral. And, and um, they sent me uh, a book and a pamphlet about, about their mom and dad. Um, and in that, her dad tells a story. Her dad's still alive, and uh, he's struggling with his health a little bit, and so he's not wasn't completely, you know, able to, 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 to lead out in this, um, in this memorial moment. But her dad, uh, uh, Jaina's dad, <coughs> Larry, he was a believer, and he wrote in his book that he had this engagement with God. He had this vision. He said he was sitting with all of the saints at the great judgment seat. 
And that all the saints were like in an auditorium. They were all sitting down in chairs as he described it. And he said, and then one by one, the lost were brought forward and all of their lives were played out in front of everyone to see. And, they ne and, and, and that they never dis accepted Christ. And then they were sentenced by the great judge. And as they were being whisked off into eternity, into hell and, 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 and darkness, says, he said that in his vision, he said they began to scan the millions and millions and billions of people that were sitting, he said, until they locked eyes with him because they were his friends, they were his co-workers in his vision. And they began to curse him with everything they had. You knew and you didn't tell me nothing. You didn't warn me. You didn't warn me. You blank and blank and as they were ushered off into eternal darkness. And that man came out of that vision. <clears throat> and he decided he was not going to let one person go to hell that he had access to. So he wrote his testimony of how God changed his life. And he gave it to every person he had ever known in the past, any friend he had in high school. He began to track them down. He began to ask the Lord for divine engagements with people. He began to sit, stop the little gal that was, that was serving at the restaurant. I said, can I just tell you a story? I just need to tell you about my life. I don't know if I'll ever get to see you again. And he began to share the gospel. Not all of them got saved, obviously, but they saw before they had, before the mom had passed, and the mom, they would bring them over to their home. They'd take people off the streets. They would come live with them. They were constantly doing small group life with all these people that were saying, yes to Jesus and in their lifetime Jana said that they touched thousands and thousands of people got saved because her little daddy uh, he worked a job I mean his my mom worked a job but they decided that they were not going to be blamed on that day for not having done what they should have done in their life to help others go to Christ, come to Christ and I believe that's exactly what Peter is referring to in this piece I believe it has so much more about that we would be blameless I don't know about you but I think about the people that I've known and the people that I've loved and, and, and I just didn't have the courage or the guts and I don't know why if, if, if eternity is in the balance if if people's existence going forward and into eternity is in the balance why would I hate them so much that I wouldn't show them the love of Christ so they it's theirs to reject or accept but Jesus paid a price so that you and I could live in eternity with him and that we all of our sins could be washed so why would we not extend that to others how much would we have to not care about them and I, that has permeated me I went into pastor not because I couldn't do something else not because I didn't want to do anything else it is the most difficult thing I could ever imagine a person doing I went into pastoring because he said will you love the hurting people of the planet and I said yes sir for you I'll do anything and I preached my guts out not so that you will like me or not like me I know I make mistakes and I know I stumble and fall but I'm telling you I preached my guts out and live every day passionate for Jesus so that just one could turn from their wicked ways so that just one could say if that that's what it's about. I want it. I don't run away. I don't go run off into, into depression and difficulties because my life is so bad because I know that men and women's lives lay in the balance and I have to show them the right way. Are you tracking with me today? Say yes. Let us be blameless before the Lord. He said, I'm going to give you three things, guys, to work on. First off, scrub on those spots. Let the word of God have access to it and convict you convicts you. That's what the Bible says, that when we read the Word of God, when we get the Word of God inside, it begins to shine light, and we can see the spots. Then he says, let us be blameless. And then he gives us a third piece. I want you to write this down. And he says, and let us be found at peace with him. 
Let us be found at peace with him. I can't tell you how many Christians are not at peace with their God. They're not at peace. Fighting with him. Struggling with him. Like a rebellious teenager. Not at peace. Can I tell you how to be at peace with your God? Can I give you a little secret? Let him lead. This is that simple. Let him lead. Let him lead. Have you ever been in a marriage where there was no peace? Because both parties always had to be right. Always had to be right. Always had to bring back up what wasn't right the last time, what's not going to be right in the future, and what ain't right now. That's a miserable place to live with somebody. Peace with our God comes when you and I just say, Lord, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Jesus actually said it like this in John 14, 23. Anyone, anyone who says they love me will obey my teachings. What you and I, me, me included, have such an issue with, and we don't realize it, is that we keep trying to lead God instead of letting God lead us. So our prayers, God, I need you to do this. Instead of, God, what are you trying to do and how can I get on that? How can I get involved in that? Jesus, what do you want to do here? This is in front of me. I'm frustrated about it. I don't like it. What are you trying to do and how can I serve you, my master? It brings such peace. If you've ever been in a leadership position that had lots of people reporting to you, you know the turmoil that leadership incurs. Every day I make decisions to make somebody mad and somebody happy. I didn't want to be a leader. I would have been so much happier to just go work a job, come to church, sit there and just blink, blink at the pastor. I don't feel like going to church this week. I ain't got to go to church. But every, every Sunday morning when I wake up and want to watch a game, my wife says, no, you the pastor. You got to go up there and minister to these people. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to do it. But each and every one of us understand what it is to have people, if you have kids especially, that are looking to you for leadership. And that can be, that can be so hard. And so it's just easier to just say, nah, I don't want to do it. Or I want to do it my way. I tell you, the most beautiful moments in my life is when I've had just a good leader. And I just said, sir, whatever you want, I don't even want to think about it. Just tell me what to do. And that's what I love about being a follower of Jesus. All I have to do is wake up every morning and say, I don't know how to fix everybody. I don't know how to fix myself. So whatever you want, just tell me. And, I, and that brings such peace. I'm not wrestling with God all the time. I'm not fighting with him. It took me about 20 years in my Christianity to get there, by the way. If I could just be so open and honest. It took me 20 years. Just, God, you need to do that. And you need to tell my wife this. And you need to. And finally, finally, after years of just like wrestling, ah, and I'm frustrated. I'd come in and worship. And I'm just, God, you got to move. I'm so desperate. And my Christianity looked like this, like a roller coaster, up and down, up and down. Finally, he just asked me, how about you just let me lead? I'm pretty good at it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, but then I wouldn't be a good American. Because Americans are subservient to nobody. I said, yeah, but you'd be a good Christian. I said, okay, let's try it, but slow. Can't give you everything. I mean, think about it. 
He wants to lead your finances. Tell you where to spend it, where not to spend it. Help you out there. He wants to lead your relationships. He wants to lead your philosophies. What you think and how you think right and wrong is established and what you think is right and wrong. He'd like to have access to that so you could have peace. Oh, the joy and the peace that comes when we just let him lead. Whatever the word says, I just want to do it the way you said it, the best, and help me grow in that. The peace that surpasses all understanding, that guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Peter gives us all of these teachings about the end, and it's going to come, it's going to happen. He says, those guys who are lying to you, they're liars. And those guys who are telling you that at the end there will be no judgment for the way we lived on this, they're lying. Why? He, he, he brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. He brought judgment on this. Why would he change? And he says, there will be a judgment. And so he says, so let me prep you three things. First off, get rid of all those stains, guys. Get rid of it. Scrub on it. Let the Word of God do it. Then he says, and then not only that, he says, be blameless. Don't have anyone who can say, you never told me about his goodness. Be obedient to what he said. He said, he said, go and make disciples. You do not want him turning to you and saying, I told you to do that and you didn't do it. Why didn't you do it? Be blameless. And he said, and then be at peace with God. Just follow him. It's so much easier. So it don't matter if it's pre-trib, post-trib, no-trib. Doesn't matter if doesn't matter if you know this one's the, the antichrist or we never see the antichrist in our lifetime or we it doesn't matter if we go through tribulation and hardship. It don't it doesn't matter because I'm at peace with him. Because I follow him wherever. Whatever happens, I'm with Jesus. Are you tracking with me today? Say yes. Hey everybody, wasn't that a great message? I know that as we speak. Your life is being changed by the word of the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. Take some time to think about it, consider it, pray and ask the Lord how you can apply it to your life today and this week. And maybe there's something that he's asking you to change or do differently in your life. So let's not let this be something that we just watch and then walk away like nothing happened. We're so grateful to be able to hear the word of the Lord. You weren't here in person today, but you're here with us online and that matters. And if you made a decision for Christ today, we wanna know, we wanna know how to come alongside you and how to support you and how we can best pray for you. So please, if you did make that decision for Christ today, text the word DECIDED to 469-606-2684. We can't wait to see you back next week, same time, same place, Share these posts with your friends. Share it on your social media. Blast it out there. Don't be greedy and keep it to yourself. We love you and we'll see you soon. God bless.